is Wednesday night, and we are in a study on Wednesday night of the Apostle Peter. He was a very interesting fellow. A lot of people don't understand how the New Testament is laid out. The New Testament is about the life of Jesus. You don't have much concerning the first 30 years of his life. You got a time period when he was 12 years old and his mother and father had come to Jerusalem to one of the feasts and he seemed to get lost in the crowd and they said, we got to find him. And they found him with the, with the doctors, with the Pharisees, the, the scribes, which were the higher up doctors of the law. And he was explaining scripture to them at 12 years old. You have his birth there in uh, Luke, the first chapter, and you have his birth uh, not in Matthew. The You don't show the birth in Matthew. You show the kings coming from the east. People don't look at maps, and they, they don't even understand what they're saying when they're talking. The best way to study the Bible is to study it on maps. The wise men, there weren't three wise men. The Bible doesn't say that. They were wise men from the east. Wise men is the word magi, M-A-G-G-I, or magos, which is plural, M-A-G-G-O-S, and that was the wise men. Now, they had good wise men, and they had bad wise men. They all came over here from Babylon. Here's Babylon is Iraq. That's what it is. Uh, it went on up in here, but Babylon, you had the Euphrates River here, and then you had the Tigris River, and they went down southeast in Iraq, like so. And they met down here just above the Persian Gulf, where we had that war back in the early 90s. And uh, so the wise men, the Magos, or the Magi, came from here on Babylon's right about where my finger is. And it's, uh, let me see if I can get a better map. Let me see here. I know that's not a good one. I need a good map of just Babylon. Here's the Euphrates River right here. This is the Tigris River. And they meet right above the Persian Gulf. And Babylon is about 100 miles up here on the Tigris River, somewhere about where my finger is. So when they saw the star of Jesus, they came about 650 miles by horse or camel. We don't even know that. It doesn't say that wise men came on a camel. They may have been there on horses or donkeys. So they come over here by 650 miles. They couldn't have gotten there the night that Jesus was born. You understand that? That had to have been, get up, camel, get up. Come on, let's go. <laughs> they didn't get there. They, didn't, they did not get to the manger. The, Matthew, the second chapter, said they came to the house where the young child was. Jesus was approximately two years old when the wise men got there. So people don't, they don't even bother to look at maps. Now, we're talking about Peter and the apostles. 
and how the New Testament was laid out. We've talked about the layout of the Old Testament from Adam until Jesus and the split of Israel and so forth. And I'm not going to go through that. When you get to Jesus, you see a little bit in Matthew, first chapter, a virgin virgin shall conceive, and that will be Mary, and she'll have a child of the Holy Ghost. Then the second chapter, the wise men come there. And then the third chapter, John the Baptist is baptizing, and Jesus comes to him, and he's 30 years old at that time. So you only got Jesus' early life is only about two chapters at the most in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. Well, he doesn't even, you don't even see the the baby in in Mark, the first chapter, and you don't see the baby Jesus in John the first chapter. You only see that in Luke, and you don't see it. You only see Christ being born in Luke. And all of the angels came. Uh, only the angels and the shepherds came. There was no wise men at the manger. It's crazy. Now, so all you see is a couple of chap- chapters on Jesus' early life. Not much. So what you see is about when he's 30 years old, all the way to the end of the book, which is Revelation. And John, the beloved, wrote the book of Revelation in approximately 96 A.D. So what you've got in the New Testament is approximately 66 years of history in, in Revelation. You only have three years of Jesus' life, three years, of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, or three and a half, we call it three and a half, of Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is only three and a half years of Jesus' life. The rest of this book, particularly the Acts of the, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of Apostles, what that is talking about, I didn't even know what Acts was when I was a kid. I thought, what in the world does Acts of Apostles mean? It means the actions after Jesus is dead of these men here in the Apostles. Now, Jesus died at the Passover. I'm trying to make this as elementary as I can. Passover. The Passover was on Nisan 14. That's March, April. March slash April. Now, 50 days later was Pentecost. But at this Pentecost, Jesus died as the Passover lamb at Passover. Jesus was, the Bible tells us that, in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. He was the Passover lamb. Passover lamb. And then 50 days, 50 days uh, after the Passover was Pentecost. Pentecost comes from pent, means five, 
Pentecost is 50th. Now, at this Pentecost is where Peter comes along in Acts 2, Acts 2, and he preaches to Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, what I need to do is get you involved in the book of Acts because Paul was killed in 60, approximately 67 A.D. He was, it's believed that he was executed in a Roman jail. He was there waiting execution. He wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote First and Second Timothy, and they were what you call prison epistles. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote those epistles. So somewhere in the neighborhood of 66 to 67 A.D., he's writing these epistles, and he comes to his death. So Acts ends at the death of Paul. The first 13 uh, chapters of Acts are dedicated to Peter. There are 28 chapters. Peter's from chapter 1 to chapter through chapter 12. I've said this many times. Paul comes on the scene, not actually on the scene. He's in the 8th chapter. He's, he's a character there in the 8th chapter. What he's doing in the 8th chapter, he's standing by and watching the Pharisees stone Stephen. He's the guy there holding the coats of those that are stoning Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And he's, you know, putting his approval on it. And it's not until the ninth chapter of Acts that Paul is struck down on the Damascus Road and he becomes one of the people that he used to kill. He became a Christian. Paul would go all over the world, and you'll find that in his writings. He went all over the world, and as he went all over the world, that then was. His, he had these journeys. After he was converted in the, eight, in the ninth chapter of Romans, that's when God struck him down on the Damascus Road. He was headed from Israel, headed from Israel, here in Jerusalem, up to Damascus. Damascus is considered the oldest city in the world by every scholar. This is the oldest city there is. And he was struck down on the way there, and God says, Why are you persecuting me? If you notice, Paul didn't have an invitation him. Nobody asked him if he'd like to be saved or get saved. God struck him down and said, I'm calling you to stop killing my people. Paul said, I made havoc of the church. The word havoc means to murder. He was a murderer. That's why when he was converted and, uh, and uh, Barnabas took him to Jerusalem, the apostles went, whoa, 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 get him out of here. He, he kills us. They got terrified of him at the end of the ninth chapter of Acts. They went, what is he doing here? Everyone knew Paul. He was a killer of Christians. What a reputation. Huh? 
Now, Peter is spoken of through the 12th chapter. Then you get into the 13th chapter and the, and the council at Jerusalem, God mainly, picks out Paul and Barnabas. And they go out on the first missionary journey and they take one other person with them. Can, does anybody remember who that person was? Anybody? Mark. Huh? John Mark. John Mark was a kid. And John Mark. What's amazing about John Mark? He was brand new. He had never done anything like this before. And when they took off on their first missionary journey, this is, their missionary journeys wasn't like going to Ecuador for a week. <laughs> One place, they would stay at Corinth for a year and a half. And then they stayed at Ephesus for three years. Boy, that was a long time. This is the first journey they took off from Jerusalem, come up here to Antioch, Antioch, and Antioch. There's two Antiochs. They were named after Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the ruler of Syria. He was the first, one of the Seleucian kings. Seleucus, when, when Alexander the Great died, Alex Great died, he left his kingdom... He left by will and testament to four generals. When Alexander, of course, Alexander the Great was from over here. See where it says Macedon? He was from Macedonia. You remember heard, Paul heard the Macedonian call in the 16th chapter of Acts, and he was over here in, over here in uh, Troas. And he heard the Macedonian call, and he had a vision. They said, come over and help us. See those little fingers right there? Those little fingers, this is on the top of the Aegean Sea. And that's where you'll find Thessalonica and Philippi. So he's got to go up through here on his second journey. He's going to go there. Well, he goes, uh, he goes up to, he leaves uh, Jerusalem, goes to Antioch comes down to Cyprus, comes up here. This is the same thing as right here. He goes up here to Antioch, comes over. He's run out of town in Antioch. The Pharisees at the synagogue threw him out. A week later, they come to Iconium where he goes to preach over there. And these same guys come over there and they're Pharisees in a synagogue. And they talk to these people in Iconium, throwing him out, threatening him. He didn't like them, him preaching Jesus was resurrected. He goes down to Lystra, and these pagans accept him because he heals a man there. They call him Jupiter. Or they call him Mercurius, Mercury, which is the uh, speaker for the gods, or the pagan gods, and they called Barnabas uh, Jupiter. And they said, don't do that. We're men just like you are. So he... They talk, these Pharisees from Antioch come down here, down to Lystra, and they talk these pagans into stoning Paul and leaving him for dead there uh, in the 14th chapter of Acts. Then he comes, 
After he gets up on his feet, they probably had to bind him up and put splints on him of some kind because they busted him up really bad because he looked dead. I keep saying this. I'm going to say it again. When they stone somebody, I used to think, what's the big deal about stones? You can dodge them, can't you? <laughs> no. That's not what they did. They'd take a guy up on some high place, throw him off, hope it breaks his head, breaks his neck, breaks his back, and he dies that way, maybe 20 feet up or higher. And if he doesn't, they'd take great big old boulders and go and throw them down on him. That's worse than getting shot with a thirty thirty. Because, man, you're going to die if they stone you. Well, he gets up, makes that statement, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God, gets up on his feet, comes down to Derby, and then heads back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, so he can strengthen the saints. And then he comes back down to Pergama or Pamphylia and heads back home down here. All of that journey was in the 13th, 13th through the 15th chapter. He gets back in Jerusalem in the 15th chapter. It's been several years since he's been there. Comes back to the council at Jerusalem and reports to them. And at the end of the 15th chapter, he takes off again on his next journey. I'll talk about that more later. I want to get back to Peter. Now, Peter was, uh, he was a character. His life, everything he did during the life of Jesus is expressed right here. He wrote First and Second Peter, and he gave us some powerful words in there. Tremendous. He's the guy that talked about adding to your faith. If anybody knew about adding to faith, Peter had denied Christ. He'd contradict him. They said he didn't even know him. And Peter's the one that Jesus said, I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, but that was given to all of us. And whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven, whether you loose on earth, be loosed in heaven, and so forth. Now, I want to show you some of these men. The other apostles traveled with them. Luke traveled with Paul. Luke was not a Jew. He was a Gentile Doctor, the best doctors they had in that time. Luke would have been one of them. I don't know what he treated them with, maybe herbs. And everything we treat with comes from herbs, so he knew something about being a doctor. And Luke traveled with Paul. Barnabas traveled with Paul. And you had Timothy. The second journey Paul was on Timothy met Timothy when he got to, he came back on the second journey, and he meets Timothy, he's leaving Jerusalem, comes up here, doesn't go by ship this way, comes up here, meets Timothy here at Lystra, right in here, comes, meets Timothy here, takes Timothy with him, and leaves him over here later on, at Ephesus, so he can pastor the church at Ephesus. People say, we don't believe in pastors, and you don't believe in in First and Second Timothy. Uh, and he and Titus meets with Paul, and Titus comes down to Crete and is pastoring the church at Crete. Whenever you read First and Second Timothy and Titus, 
these are called pastoral epistles because Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. But if you're going to read First and Second Timothy, you need to read with the book of Ephesians because it's going to tell you about the adventures Paul had. Paul warned Timothy about false teachers over there, and he tells him about that in Ephesians, what you look for. Titus was at Crete, and Paul was always, people say, I wouldn't go to a church where there's a lot of fighting, and you wouldn't attend the church at where Timothy was at Ephesus, and you wouldn't attend where Titus was, because the Bible speaks of there were some evil people that tried to masquerade themselves as preachers. Now, I want to get started in the book of Acts and introduce you to Peter's life there in Acts. Let's turn over to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts and look at chapter 1. Now, a lot of people think that Luke wrote the book of Acts. If Luke wrote it, he probably wrote it for the Apostle Paul. Some believe that Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. Some believe it was his eyesight because there's some reasons to kind of hone in on that. Uh, It says here, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to teach and to do. We don't have much information on Theophilus, but evidently it was one of their compadres, one of their companions. You look back over here to the first chapter of Luke, and you hear this introduction of the book of Luke is much the same as the introduction in Acts. Look here in Luke, the first chapter, and because he addresses Theophilus, like he's a personal friend. But remember, Luke traveled with Paul, and he traveled with him, and usually most people understood that he wrote his epistles for him. So here in Luke, the first chapter, for as much as many, first chapter, verse 1, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, He's going to state a statement of faith. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and the ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So some people say, he may have been Luke writing the book, of Acts, but if he was, look over in Galatians the sixth chapter. Galatians six. If he was, it's understood it may have been because he had some bad eyesight. Look here in in Galatians, and this is the best that most men can come up with an interpretation of it. Galatians the sixth chapter. All right. Uh, Paul says here. Uh, verse 10 
As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Some say he may have had to write large letters so that we're not real sure, but there's other things to verify that to some degree, even in this book. He says here in this book, back in chapter 4, he says, Brethren, I beseech you, verse 12, uh, be as I am, for I am as ye are, and ye have not injured me at all. You know how that through infirmity of the flesh, I had an infirmity in my flesh. He calls it a thorn in the flesh in the 12th chapter of Second Corinthians. I preached the gospel to you at first, and my temptation, my parosmos, my hurting, my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise. You didn't say, hi, you're having a hard time seeing. You're blind, aren't you, Paul? Nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as of Christ Jesus. Remember, angel is the word angelos, and it means messenger. You received me as God's messenger. Where is then the blessedness you, that you spake of? I bear you record that if it had been possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's why it's believed that he had a bad problem with his eyesight. Look back at Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Paul said, I had this thorn. It was in my flesh. And he said, there was a reason for it. Let me show you the reason. Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. When you're real talented in something... And you're elect of God. God might just give you a real bad disease to humble you and keep you humble. I know what that's like. I was very talented in sales. I could really go like a house of fire and make things move. I was real good on the stage in the music business. I don't mean that in a boast. I can't sing two songs up here trying to substitute for the for the song leader. I can't hardly get through two songs. I don't have a voice anymore. Don't have, I can't sing hardly at all. I don't want to go sell anything. But God has done something to me. He said, here, Jim Brown, you think you got this great voice? I'll put this bronchitis in you. Now sing. Tell us how good you are. I can. God has done this to me. I am sure of it. He has stopped me dead in my tracks, and he'll do that to you. You may be, most people think, I'm good at this. I'm good at playing the guitar. I'm good at, at to entertaining. I'm good. I'm real quick. I'm glib. I'm, well, God may have given you that to take it away from you, say, now you're going to do what I want you to do. Look here in Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And Paul says here, Paul says in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> verse 6, For though I desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. He said, it's really in me just like it is you to glory. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say the truth. But now I forbear, I put up with, lest any man should think of me above that 
which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Paul knew that he had a lot of talent, extremely educated, spoke lots of gloss and lots of foreign languages, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of the day. He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin of the southern kingdom. That was one of the greatest honors. And he said, I've, you can find that in the third chapter of Galatians. He said, I was a Pharisee. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I had all this accolades of men, but I counted all but dung that I might gain Christ. Whatever talent you have, you have to count that as dung. So you can do the things of God. It's awful hard to crucify yourself. Had a fellow come here one night, a real gentle guy, and uh, very educated, played about five or six instruments, played them all well. He said, I want to I want to find a church that preaches what you preach, that I can be a full-time music minister. I said, that ain't going to happen. When you preach what I preach, there ain't going to be enough money to come in to hire a full-time music minister. We don't have time. We have no place for that here. God may have to take his talent away before he can use him. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Here's the reason for this thorn in the flesh. So he wouldn't be exalted. Paul, I believe, is a writer of 14 books of the New Testament, counting the book of Acts. Well, that can give you the big head, you know that. God talked to me 14 different times, so I'd write these things down. And they're going to be put down in the Bible for thousands of years, so everybody in the world that calls themselves a Christian can read my works. So God has to keep me humble. lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, 14 total books. That's the revelations he's talking about. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It wasn't a spiritual thorn. It was in my flesh to stop me. The messenger of Satan to buffet me and beat me lest I should be exalted above measure. He said that twice. For the thing I besought the Lord thrice. Now, Paul is doing something that he tells us not to do. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. I besought the Lord three times for this. God's, Paul says, look, pray when you pray, bow to the will of God. Prayer, prosukamai, means to bow to God's will. Paul tells us, say something twice, and that's it. And he asked God three times. See, Paul is showing us how human he is here. Because he's, until he gets marooned at Rome in that Roman jail, he makes some mistakes. And you can see them in his writings. And God said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in my physical weakness. It's made teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. I become mature when I am weak in the flesh. 
I'm 79. I should be mature. I've been a believer for 70-something years since I was a little boy. I've gone to hell and back so many times I can't count when the music business. I've sung with stars. I've been lied to, cheated, called everything under the sun. Same thing in real estate. I've been in all kinds of situations. I've been in snowstorms. I've been in, I've totaled two rigs six weeks apart, one nearly running into a semi head-on, flipping over and over. It's a wonder I'm alive. One of the worst storms in the history of North Dakota, one of the worst blizzards, 89 below zero. I thought I was going to die. God's brought me through, but he's given me something to buffet me so I won't get the big head. I can't do anything now but preach, that's it. And that's all I want to do. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Just because you can do something, don't say, I can do this. God must want me to do it. That's like Jesse James saying, Well, I can rob banks without getting caught, so God must want me to do this. No. Just because you can do something that entertains people don't mean you're supposed to do it. Just because you can do something that, well, I'm a good dancer. I can go out here on the dance floor. Well, you shouldn't be there. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. Remember, reproach on the edzo means to be infamous. I take pleasure in people hating me and chasing me over a wall and having to be dropped down over this wall in a basket while the world's trying to catch me and kill me in distress for Christ's sake for when I am physically weak that's when I become spiritually strong when you're young don't think you're going to get spiritually strong overnight because you're not well you ain't been in the sin I've been in Jim you just don't know I've been wherever you've been twice more now, so, now I want us to go back over here to the book of, uh, book of Acts, first chapter. Verse 2, all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Acts is just the actions of of the apostles for about a 37 or 67 year period that is the book of acts and then everywhere these guys go in acts acts is the places they go it'll tell you when paul went to corinth the things that happened and when he was kicked out of corinth and when he gets on to these other places it'll tell you what happened what they're doing when they're in the book of acts when Paul would be in one place, when he would be over here in Greece, he may be writing a letter over here to uh, Galatia uh, or Ephesus or whatever. When he's in one place, he'll be writing a letter back to another place, and that's what the epistles are. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those are remember Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. 
His journeys were to Gentile churches. Peter's, that's what Galatians, the second chapter says. Peter's job was to stay in and around Jerusalem and preach to the Jews down here. He was a minister to the circumcision. Paul was a minister to the uncircumcision. Remember, these people that were Gentiles, they were in the dark. They were in the dark without truth, no truth. What you got to do is get a picture the Bible in a a series of happenings so you can see what's going on. So the Gentiles were in the dark all through the Old Testament. Gentiles in dark. So when Paul is made a missionary to the Gentiles, that's what he does. He goes on these missionary journeys to Galatia. Galatia is right here. See all that yellow part right there? Galatia is not a town. Galatia is a state. Ephesians, Ephesus is a city. When Paul would write to Ephesus, he's writing to the pastors there or to the people there at Ephesus. Galatia, you'll find Galatia in the 13th, 14th, 15th chapter of Acts. Galatia includes, when Paul goes up here, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. So when he's writing to the Galatians, he's writing to those cities and the cities surrounding them and all the events that happened there when he was at, when he was coming back from that first missionary journey, he came back and headed back to Jerusalem and what he called was Judaizers, The Judaizers were try, were following him, and all they could have in their mind was proselyte, proselyte circumcision, baptism, and two turtle doves. But that was a ritual for bringing people into Israel, but all the ritual were blotted out when Jesus when Jesus was crucified at the end of the Gospels, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. So none of these would be, we're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. These Judaizers kept telling Paul on his way back in the 15th chapter of Acts, we need to go back up here to Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. We need to circumcise these people. Paul said, we're not going to do that. They're going to be confused. They're going to think you're wanting them to participate in the proselyte process. We're not going to do it. And he gets back there in the 15th chapter of Acts, gets back to Jerusalem, and Peter says, let me say something about this. He said, it was by my mouth that the Gentiles first heard the message of the gospel back in the 10th chapter when I went to the house of Cornelius. And Peter was the first one to preach to the Jews in Acts, the second chapter. And Peter said, we don't need to be going saddling these people with something our own fathers weren't able to keep. And James, the brother of Jesus, who was head of the council at Jerusalem, stood up and said, no, we're not going to do that. People had a hard time getting over ritual even then. 
Then when you get to the Galatians, you get to Galatians and you see the word circumcision all through it. And Paul will say, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, you should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ, having been evidently set forth, crucified among you, receive ye the faith by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. Which way are you going? They, he talks about circumcision all through Galatians. It's about these people wanting to go back and circumcise those people up there in Antioch, Iconium, Derby, Lystra. And they were saying no. So he tells us what he's doing in the book of Galatians. You read the Galatians when you're reading 13, 14, 15 of Acts. That's where you got to look at it. Find out where he was, then go to the books where he wrote to them. Because when you get through, you're not going to get past 96 A.D. when John writes Revelation. So that's the whole New Testament from Jesus' life from 33 A.D., well, 30 A.D., all the way to 96 A.D. And Paul dies in about 67 A.D. We're not sure when Peter died. We know that it was sometime in the mid-first century, 50, 60 A.D., somewhere in that neighborhood. Now, let's continue reading here. Jesus began to both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs when he walked on water, when he, uh, well, this is after his passion, after his death, by many infallible proofs, he walked through a wall in northern Israel. They locked all the doors and he walked in and he just appeared in front of the apostles. I don't know if he's walking through a wall or what. He just appeared. Being seen of them 40 days. Now remember, he was crucified at the Passover, as the Passover lamb. So he saw them 40 days. But Pentecost is 50 days. So he was with them 40 days. They're sitting in Jerusalem for 10 days waiting for this birth of the church. They didn't know what it was they were waiting for. Well, they're waiting. He said, go in Jerusalem and tarry, sit there until I send the Holy Spirit upon you. Once you can get this basic outline of the life of Jesus for three and a half years, Acts of the Apostles up to 67 AD, and you're not that far from 96, you're just a little under 30 years before John writes Revelation. And all that time, the apostles are under, they're being persecuted and killed. Now, let's read on. Until the day which he was taken up, that he through the Holy Ghost had, remember the Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit are the same thing. They're the truth had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive 
after his passion by the many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. So you only have 10 more days till Acts 2, which is Pentecost. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, remember, kingdom of God was a term for Israel or the church. When you get to Acts 2, that's the birth of the church or spiritual Israel. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, ye have heard of me, that you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Holy Spirit is truth. The birth of the church is in the second chapter of this book. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from here. He's telling them at the very end of the 40 days, they've got 10 days before they're going to be baptized with the Hagios Numa. With the Holy Spirit, P-N-E-U-M-A. Numa is the word breath. Hagios is the word holy. The holy breath of God is going to come down and fill you and birth you. This is a magnificent thing I think only God can explain. And every time they use the word baptize, oh, you're going to baptize? Oh, was well, the kingdom of God coming? Oh, I think that's what they say, isn't it? And they therefore were come together. They asked of him, saying, Lord, since you said we're going to be baptized, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel, which is kingdom of God? What did he mean by that? Anytime he would say baptism, somebody would speak up and say, are you going to restore the kingdom of God? Here's what it means right here. Let me erase this. During Jesus' day, Israel was not back from the captivity. Only two tribes were back from the captivity. The only, the only ones that were back from the captivity, if this is Israel, and this is Egypt here, here's the delta land coming down and the rivers flowing, here's the there's the uh, Sinai Peninsula. That's where they went through the wilderness and so forth. And here's the Dead Sea. Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. And the source of the Jordan River is the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. And when they would say, are you going to restore the kingdom of God? In the first century, only southern Judah was back from the captivity. Just Judah. And Judah was comprised of what? What made up the kingdom of southern Judah? Huh? Benjamin and Judah. Benjamin, and Judah. Benjamin was the twelfth son of Jacob, and Judah was the fourth son. But out of Judah would come the king. And the first king of Israel, first man king was Saul. And he was of the tribe of Benjamin. 
And Israel, the capital of Israel, is in the land of Benjamin. You would think it would be in Judah, wouldn't you? That's because Jerusalem was founded in in Judah and Benjamin. There's Jerusalem inside of Benjamin. So this was southern Israel. All these people during Jesus' day had not come back. The ten northern tribes were called the ten lost tribes of Israel. And so God has to deal with Judah. Anytime he would say, you'll be baptized. Baptism was an old ancient Jewish ritual. And it comes out of, here's the, here's the temple. There's the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the table of showbread. We don't know how they were shaped. The altar of incense and the seven candlesticks. The altar, the brazen altar. This is a golden altar. All these inside were gold. And then the brazen sea. Well, they, the rabbis had taken this brazen sea out and put it in the proselyte process because all the priests would wash in the sea and then they every time they'd go and offer a sacrifice, they had all these prescribed sacrifices every day. They had lambs in the morning, lambs in the evening, had all kinds of oxen that they had to kill to sanctify the inner sanctuary and so forth. Well, so when it's talking about baptism, they were washing. All the priests would wash here. Then they would come up here and offer a sacrifice. They washed here in the morning, washed themselves all over. And then every time they offered a sacrifice, they'd come back. They had spigots on this, and it set on 12 oxen. And their faces were out this way. And they would come back and wash. And that's where Jesus is washing Peter's feet. They washed feet because it was hot there, very arid land, and the temperature would get up to 115, 20 degrees, and their feet would swell up, uh, and they would wash one another's feet. That was a law of hospitality. We don't have that because we've got air conditioning, and we don't need that. And... Uh, but that's why they wash feet as a matter of hospitality. That's the whole idea behind the foot washing. It wasn't a commandment for us or any churches. Now, where was I? I was saying, when they said, are you going to restore the kingdom? Here's what they're saying. Israel, northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrians in the Old Testament. Southern Judah was carried away by the Babylonians. Only southern Judah, when they were in captivity, received the four decrees to come back and rebuild the temple. Northern Israel never received any decrees. Northern Israel was ruled by who? Huh? Who ruled northern Israel? Ephraim. Ephraim. Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim, his second born, and Manasseh. And you see that Ephraim had the authority of Israel. He had the inheritance. 
You find, actually, Joseph had the inheritance. Joseph's two sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph received the inheritance. That was Jacob's favorite son. He loved him, the Bible says, in that 37th chapter of Genesis, more than all his other sons. He wasn't going to give up Joseph for nothing. Joseph was a picture of Christ. He never got angry, just fit right in with everything that happened. He was sold into Egypt by his jealous brothers because their father had given him a coat, not of colors. It's one of the colors. Good grief. It was a coat of authority. And when they saw him with that coat of authority, they got enraged because that meant he's 17 years old and he's going to be our ruler and some of us are in our 40s. How can he be the boss? Because he was like Jesus and it was God's will. Well, northern Israel received the inheritance in Genesis, the 48th chapter. In Genesis 48, that's when Joseph brought his two sons to Jacob, or his name had been changed to Israel by this point. And Israel and Joseph brought his his oldest son in his left hand and headed him toward, pointed him toward his father's right hand. The right hand imparted the inheritance, and once it was given, it couldn't be changed. It was it. So when they got close, he had his right hand on the head of Ephraim, leading him toward Joseph's, uh, Jacob's left hand or Israel's left hand. So Ephraim would get the lesser blessing. And this is what Jacob did. <laughs> That's really fantastic. He crossed his hands. Joseph said, not so, my father. But that's is my firstborn. He said, I know that, son. The secondborn receives the blessing. So, Ephraim, anytime you see Ephraim referred to, when Hosea is preaching against Ephraim, for going after other gods. He's preaching against northern Israel. It was northern Israel that brought the gods into Egypt, into Israel, wasn't it? It was that heathen, Ahab, marrying Jezebel. It was Ahab, king of northern Israel, marrying Jezebel. And her father was Ethbel, a priest of the Ashtaroth and a priest of Baal. Brought it down into Israel. So Ephraim was never brought back. So anytime somebody said, if Jesus would say something about baptism, they'd say, are you going to restore the kingdom? Because what was ruling Israel was the boot of Italy over here. You had Greece here. You had Turkey over here or Asia Minor. Here's Galatia. Galatia gets its name from the Gauls, pagan tribes that came in and settled there. That's where they got their name, Galatia, Gauls. And Israel was being ruled by Rome. And they, they're wanting out from under Rome's rule, and they can't get out from under it. And any time baptism be mentioned, one of the apostles or even the Pharisees say, you're going to restore the kingdom? Because it's not here. 
In fact, it was everything but here because the Pharisees hated northern Israel. They wanted nothing to do with it because when the Assyrians carried them away into captivity, they set up their gods along with Jehovah worship in northern Israel. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well in northern Israel, she's at Jacob's well, and he said to her, you worship, you know not what. And she didn't know what she was worshiping. She had a little bit of Jehovah God and a, a bunch of Ashtaroth in there and three gods and the whole works. So when he says this right here to them, he says, John baptized with water, but I'll baptize with the Holy Ghost. Baptize, oh, you're going to restore the kingdom, right? Same thing happened over here in Luke 17. Look over here. Anytime somebody would mention baptism, the Jews would perk up. That was an old Jewish ritual. Luke 17. There's so much to this, and I can't hardly get through it. It's Luke 17. Verse 20. If you're really the Messiah... Tell us when the kingdom of God should come. They demanded him when the kingdom of God. When are you going to call back all the 12 tribes together? Get us out under Rome's ruling thumb. And when are you going to restore the kingdom? If you're really the Messiah. That's what they're saying here. When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He answered them, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't see it when it comes because it's not going to be David riding out over, over some drawbridge out of a great big Jerusalem with high walls. It won't be that way anymore. And then he says, Neither shall they say, Lo, here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now let's go back over there to Acts. Anytime it was mentioned, that's why they're saying, are you going to restore the kingdom? The kingdom was split. When the owner wasn't there, the owner was Ephraim. If the owner of a house wasn't there, they said it was not at home. It might as well be empty and vacant. And he owned everything. Joseph did. They left a household to one of the children. He had to take care of everybody else. When Abraham had 380-something men in his household, they would, it wasn't like today, if you're head of a household, you have everybody wait on you. They would have make sure everybody was fed, the slaves, everyone. Then they'd say, now bring me a plate. If you became a slave in Israel in the ancient world, that was the best thing that could happen to you because they didn't beat their slaves. They treated them like a son in a household. And sometimes they would even adopt them. And when they would say, you want to stay here forever? The way the Jews treated slaves, you wanted to be a slave there because you're over here poor working a field and you just can't make a living and you owe this slave master money that you borrowed for your crops. And he says, you can come in and I'll be your master, be your father. We'll take over your fields and make sure you everything's okay. 
And it was a privilege to be a slave in the ancient world in Israel. It wasn't a slave like the slaves in early America at all. So whenever somebody says, well, Israel had slaves, yeah, yeah, they did. You better be glad. You better be glad you became one when you became one because Israel was poverty stricken. Now, let's go back over here to Acts. How much time do I have, Mike? Huh? I may jump down in this chapter. I want to show you something here that's very important. All right, let's read some more here. Will you restore the kingdom at this time? Now you know what that means. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons when the Father hath put in his own power. He'll do that when he's ready. And he already said, The kingdom of God is in you. Have you noticed the apostles couldn't get their minds off the literal? They couldn't get it off of that. Peter couldn't get his mind off the literal. He kept thinking Gentiles were something bad. And God was opening, opening the door of heaven to the elect Gentiles. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon me, upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Remember, it takes two witnesses to go out and be a martyr, to die in Israel. And you become a martyr when you're a witness. But ye shall be witnesses in, unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. Remember when Jesus sent the apostles out? He said, don't go to the Gentiles yet. Don't go even to northern Israel yet. Just preach to the people in Israel. That's all. There's reasons for all of this. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. This is how Jesus is leaving. And a cloud received him out of their sight, and he left the earth. And he says, now you just wait. It'll be ten days before the Holy Spirit comes. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up, and behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee. Why did he say ye men of Galilee? All the 11 apostles that were left were from that evil, wicked place called Galilee. They considered northern Israel, the Pharisees, this was a place of filth. And when you're talking about Nazareth, you didn't say Jesus the Nazarene. You said Nazarene. Are you kidding? In John, the first chapter, Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was considered the septic tank of the world. Filthy. It wasn't like an honorable thing to say, I'm a Nazarene. It was awful to the world. So all of the 12 apostles, the 11 apostles were from Galilee. Galilee was an area, not just the sea, all this area up here was called Galilee. And the Pharisees considered that one of the most dishonorable, hateful places you could be from. They didn't like it at all. Most of the people in the world didn't like it. So 
Jesus is a Nazarene, but he's not going to prove to him that he was born in Judea. So he goes through the proselyte process, and they'll have to listen to him. Now let's read on here. And he said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And he behold, Revelation, the first chapter, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. The scripture says, As the lightning shineth from the east unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I used to think that meant when I was a kid that he's going to come out of the east. But the east to me is not the east on the other side of the world, is it? If you have the earth... You have the earth. East to west is all the way around the world, isn't it? That's When you start from the east, you go all the way west, you'll come back to the east, won't you? He said, every eye shall see him. I don't know how every eye will see him, but he said it would. When he comes back, every eye is going to see him. That'll be... That'll be the, his second coming when he descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound and we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall go up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I look forward to that day. Now, let me continue reading. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Why is that in there? All that is, is a distance. It's just a distance. Sabbath day's journey was something that was invented by the Pharisees in the Halakha, telling you how far you could travel away from your house on the Sabbath. What does the Bible say about your house on the Sabbath? What does the Bible say? It says they came up and made it 200, um, excuse me, 2,000 yards, I believe it is. And they made it, they made that up in their halakha. Look here what the Bible says. If people would read their Bibles, they would know these Sabbath keepers, it's ridiculous what they're doing. Because Sabbath, Seventh-day Adventists go to church on Saturday. On the Sabbath, you couldn't start any fires Every time you, if you got even a two-cylinder car of some kind, which they don't make them two-cylinder, maybe one of the little bitty ones, you're starting two fires every every time those cylinders fire. You're starting fires. You cannot have any pleasure on the Sabbath. You couldn't watch football. Couldn't go out in the yard and play football. You couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Here in the 16th chapter of Exodus, look what the Bible says. 16th chapter. Here in verse 29. See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. You have to stay at home and sleep. And that's it. No entertainment. No pleasure. None of that. Couldn't start a fire. You couldn't cook. If you're a Sabbath day keeper and you go to some restaurant and have a guy cook for you, then you're helping him break the Sabbath. 
Well, you're breaking it yourself by steering a car, by putting a key in there and starting it up. They've really got their Sabbath. The Sabbath is spiritual now. I preached on that, Hebrews 3 and 4. Now, go back to Acts, the first chapter. Well, I was going to give you a little bit on this Sabbath. On the Sabbath. Well, I had it here. If I can find it. Sabbath day. This is out of McClinic and Strong. Now, I read to you where you could go on the Sabbath. Nowhere. That's where you can go if you keep the Sabbath. From the injunction in Exodus sixteen twenty nine, which I just read, that every man is to abide in his place and not go out of his place on the Sabbath, the ancient Hebrew legislators deduced. The legislators are those guys that wrote the Halakha or the Haggadah and came up with the Talmud. That's the legislators. That's the guys that translated the law from Hebrew over to Aramaic. And they said, well, God didn't mean that. He meant you can go uh, 2,000 yards or 12,000 handbreadths as the ancient Hebrew yard consisted of six handbreadths, five Greek stadia around, that's a, that's a distance around a stadium, for the Greek stadium measured 2,400 handbreadths. That's baloney according to the Word of God, isn't it? That's something the Pharisees made up in their halakha. Now let's go back to Acts. I'm not going to read all that to you. <clears throat> when they were come in, they went up into the upper room, where abode both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. <clears throat> One is missing. Judas is not here. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the middle of the disciples and said, number of names together were about 120 people in the upper room. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. That's how Judas died. People say, wasn't he a believer? <laughs> no. Now, what's really amazing to me, the Bible doesn't say in Galatians, the fifth chapter, now the fruit of the Spirit is these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, suicide, and so forth. That's not the fruits of the Spirit. Judas was a liar and an evil, wicked man. And people don't like to hear that. They say, well, didn't he repent? Well, no. He was sorry he betrayed innocent blood. He knew Jesus was innocent and he lied about him. But he wasn't a believer. Well, let me read a verse to you. 
Well, let me read 19. It, as it was known in all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that that field is called in their proper tongue, a seldom. A seldom, that is to say, the field of blood. When it says the proper tongue, what is that word tongue? Dialectos. You got to remember, they had a different dialect in every city state, and those dialects would differ as much as Spanish and Italian in our day and time. It's the same word. These were, this connects with these were Jews from every nation under heaven over there in verse 5 of chapter 2. The Jews were from every nation, and if you don't know that, you don't know that they were scattered all over the world in 586 B.C. Southern Judah was scattered. Northern Israel was scattered in 722 B.C. And that's being scattered, they all, over six to 700 year period, were speaking different languages, different dialects of their language. And this is the same word. There they are right there. And they had, in Exodus 23, they had law given by Moses that all the Jews had to come back to Jerusalem for these feasts for Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering, which is coupled with the Day of Atonement. All of them had to come back, and they're all coming back to Jerusalem, and they're all speaking a different dialect, and they don't even understand each other. That's why they said, how here we ever, man, when Peter's preaching, every man in his own dialect wherein we were born. Now, was Judas saved? Not hardly. Go back to the 14th chapter of Mark. People say, well, didn't he repent? No. He says, look at 14th chapter of Mark. Here's what the Bible says about Judas. And the Bible just got through saying there in Acts that he was prophesied by David. We'll look at that in a minute. Do I have any time, Mike? Maybe I can get this in here. Look here in the 14th chapter of Mark. Look here in verse 21. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Now, you think, Judas, would God say about a vessel of mercy which he had the fore prepared to glory, good for that man who had never been born? No. Judas was not a believer. He was, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And he says here in Luke 22, Luke 22 Luke twenty two forty eight twenty two forty eight He betrayed Christ and Jesus and he comes up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek and Jesus said unto him Judas, 
Betwist thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Boy, that's some kind of friend, isn't it? Look back at Psalms 109. This is what Acts, the first chapter, is talking about. It was spoken by David, Psalms 109. It takes a while to understand these things. You've got to know how they work together. Psalms 109. I believe we need to look at the details of the lives of these men, and uh, particularly Judas here. Psalms 109. Let's read first few verses. Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. This is a reference to Judas. You can see it here. And it's a reference to David. How out of his best friends turned on him when he said, we had sweet fellowship together. We loved one another. And he was talking about Ahithophel, his chief counselor, who eventually defected from David and went to Absalom's son and tried to back him up in his rebellion to try to take over the kingdom. And then he committed suicide. They compassed me about also with the words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. I've had so many people in this ministry hate me without a cause. Jesus said they hated me without a cause in John 15. For no reason. They made up stories. They made them up about Jesus. For my love, they are adversaries. Boy, I've given them truth, and they hate me when I give them truth. He told the Pharisees that in John 8. Why do you hate me, a man that tells you the truth? I tell people the truth, and they get mad. They get so furious, they want to kill me. If people could punch a button and make me disappear without any ramifications. I'd have disappeared a long time ago. But they can't do that in America. And they rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him. Let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. When he says, I have betrayed innocent blood and let his days be few and let another take his office, which happens immediately after these words over there in, in Acts. Another takes the office of Judas. And it says in Acts, the first chapter, Acts 1, back to Acts. I want to try to help you to see how the Bible's laid out so you can better study it and better understand it. Besides just preaching predestination, which I believe with all my heart and soul. Now let's back up here. Judas, he was numbered with us, obtained part of this ministry. And now this man purchased a field with a reward of iniquity, falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. That's very descriptive of Judas' death, and you don't find that anywhere else. It was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper dialect, 
Same word as Acts 2 in verse 8, how he were ever men in our own dialect wherein we were born, wherein we were born. And it's called a seldoma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, which was an office, that's what it said in Psalms 109, let another take, and now they're going to get nominate for one to take Judas's place. They got two men here. They're going to set up to take, one of them's going to take his place. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us at the time that the Lord Jesus went in and abound among us. So evidently, these two men were with them from the start, walking it through Jerusalem with them, and they're going to name two and pick one to take Judas' place. Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, witness with us of his resurrection, and they pointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And as then they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. Jesus is dead. Jesus has just been gone just 40 days at the most. Been gone 40, well, at the least. 40 days, and they need another man to carry on the ministry. An apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place, which would be hell. And they gave forth their lots. Now, they've tried to find out what a lot is. They don't really know. Something like throwing dice or picking a stem, which one's the shortest or the longest. I've researched and researched lots. Nobody really knows what it is. But they, the lot settles everything among the Jews. And the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Now, so Judas, there's no way that he was. Uh, let me give you one other thing about Judas. Do I have any time, Mike? Huh? Look here. Go over here to Luke, the seventh chapter. Luke 7. This is interesting about Judas. Judas was the only one of the apostles that was from southern Judah. The rest of them were just a bunch of country fishermen, northern Galilee. Galilee was considered a bunch of rednecks, just country people. They had no respect for them. It's kind of the way people look at people down in Mississippi, southern Mississippi in America. Just a bunch of ignorant people down there. And they were called, the simple people in the Hebrew were called Amharets. Am, H-A-R-E-T-Z. That meant people of the soil. And that's who Jesus goes to, is the simple people, the poor in the spirit, the brokenhearted, and the bruised. That's not many rich, mighty, super athletes, superstars of any kind 
not many presidents, not many kings or premiers are going to heaven. Jesus' people were the poor. That's who they were. The Bible says not many mighty, not many wise in this world, not many noble are called. That's one of my favorite verses of the New Testament. Not many agonies. I mean, excuse me, eugenes, E-U-G-E-N-E-S. Eugenes comes from the word gene, means well genes are blue bloods. Not many rich people are going to heaven. Just not. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. People won't get mad at me. His people are the poor, the brokenhearted, the bruised, the downtrodden. He has more people among the poor than he does among the rich. Not many white people are going to heaven. They're running the nation. Not many are going. I did a tape years ago. I don't get along with white people. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get along. It's not because they're white. It's because they're running things. If you're in charge, there was an old saying that uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the white America, America's white. And these, I have worked in real estate, I've worked in the music business. And the white people that are in control, it's not because they're white, it's because they're boss in America. That's why. I couldn't figure that out. As a little boy, I kept wondering, why is all this prejudice going on in America? I could not. I just didn't understand it. We were so poor, we lived in a ghetto. And I didn't know what the difference was. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And one day I was going out to the prison. I told Earl, he was a black guy going to prison with me. I said, Earl, I figured it out. He said, what's that? I said, I just hadn't got along with white people all my life. I can't get along with them. And it's because they're in charge. I'm not trying to lift up a black person over a white. I'm just saying, that's white people in America are just, their minds are twisted. They say they're not prejudiced. They say these things, but they are. I think it's something that's pumped in their head from the time they're born. I just believe that. And that goes along. Don't want you because you're black. You're not going to get by with something with me. <laughs> but I really believe that where all this color thing comes in, it's due to it's due to propaganda. That's what causes it. And people get that in their heads that I'm better than other people if I'm this or that. If you're rich, your chances of going to heaven are very slim. How hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven? It's nearly impossible. Because you can't humble yourself. You can't take your cross and die daily. Go tell a banker tomorrow to take his cross and die daily and see what he says. While we uh, around here, we are dignified and uh, I don't really know what you're getting at. You know, some goofy answer like that. Now, 
How much time do I have, Mike? Oh, I don't know if I can get through this. Here in Luke, the seventh chapter, maybe I need to wait till next week. Luke, I'll go ahead and do it. Judas was a high roller. His father was a Pharisee, and they made him a Pharisee. Look here in uh, Luke 7. Luke 7. All right. One of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. What? Oh, verse 36. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. And he did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had hidden him saw it, he spake unto himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman was that touched him, for she is a sinner. And this is a Pharisee talking. It's Judas' father. That's who it is. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Judas's father was named Simon. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly said, and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. He gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with hairs of her head, and thou gavest me no kiss. And the woman, since the time I came, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil that thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, but she loved much, but to them little is given, and the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven thee. And they sat at meat with him before, uh, with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Now look at John's account of the same thing in John 12. John 12. Here's John's account. John 12. John 12 and 4. That's Luke 12. I won't ever find it there. John 12. Verse 1. Jesus. Then Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead when he raised from the dead. 
and made him supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spignard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus. This is the same situation. And wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. There it is right there. Which should betray him. Simon was a Pharisee. He didn't believe God. Judas's son was a Pharisee. He didn't believe God. It's amazing, isn't it? And look over here in back to the seventh, back to the eighth chapter of John of Luke, and it keeps talking about this same woman. And it came to pass eight and one. Afterward, that he went throughout every city and village, Jesus, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And a certain woman, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. That word devil is the word demonion. That's our word demon. It means to distribute fortunes. This is the same Mary from the previous chapter. She had been healed. Listen to what Mr. Lightfoot says in his commentary from the New Testament on the Talmud Hebraic. Uh, Out of whom went seven devils? As to the number seven, we contend not when there is hardly anything more useful than to put certain number for uncertain. Our difficulty is whether these words are to be taken according to the letter, according to the Jewish sense. According to the Jewish sense, who were wont to call vices by the name of demons. They call their sins demons. I think that's what America does. I walked through a, a, a checkout counter at Kroger's years ago, back 10, 12 years ago. And it said on the cover of this magazine, Richard Gere gets hold of his demons talking about he quit chasing women and joined the Buddhist bunch. He didn't. If this Mary be the same with the woman that was the sinner in the foregoing chapter, as is believed, then by devils seems to be understood the vices to which she was addicted, especially when both the Pharisee and the evangelist called her a sinner rather than a demoniac. But this we leave to the choice of the reader. It was. She had Damonion. She had self in her. And they called their sins by the title of demons. And that was Judas's father that was in the house with Jesus while he was casting the self out of her. And there's so much on that bottle, I couldn't figure out how can you wash feet with tears. I thought, do you go, <laughs> this poured out? No, they saved their tears in a bottle. And God speaks in, I believe it's in the Psalms about tears in his bottle. And they went a real important, it was precious to them to have those tears in this bottle. When they wept, they'd cry into the bottle. 
They'd put it up on a shelf, and it was a keepsake to remind them of all the things they'd been through. She took that bottle, went to Jesus, and poured it on his feet. It was precious to her. It was all of the, all of the hurt she'd been through. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth, for helping to see these men of the Bible. Thank you for truth. We pray that you'll cause us to continue your work, supply our need. Give us fire, Lord. Let fire come from our mouths. Give us what it takes to cause us to overcome everything. Fight our battles. Lead us to your elect in Christ's name. Amen. That's interesting about Judas, isn't it? He was a high roller. Hey, Sheldon. What are you doing? Leaving. Huh? Leaving. You're leaving. You just got here a while ago. Yeah. Where were you? Huh? I said, where were you earlier? Oh, you just got off work? Did you? I'm glad you came by. I always like seeing you. I do.